Thank you, church family. You guys can grab a seat. I want to say welcome to those of you in the house this morning, as well as the many of you who I know are uh, watching online with us this morning. Uh, I was reminded in the 9 a.m. service, we, um, we had a baptism. Uh, we were able to, uh, to baptize a brand new believer, uh, my, our brother Mike Gonzalez, who has actually uh, led to faith in Christ by one of our pastors here, Mark. Uh, Mike is, is one of the guys that helps us with our, our, our landscape, and Mark was just able to recently share the gospel with him, and he placed his faith and trust in Christ for the very first time. And so these baptism waters were stirred just a little while ago. Um, right after the service, I had a young guy, new, also a new believer, came up and said, man, I'm ready to be baptized. And so I just want to say, listen, maybe some of you in the 11 o'clock, maybe, maybe that's a prompting that's on your heart. Maybe there's some of you who have been watching online, and you've given your life to Christ in the last couple of months or the last few months, and we haven't had a, a chance to, to meet yet be, because of COVID, uh, would just encourage you to reach out if that's something that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do, whether you're a brand new believer in Christ or perhaps you're like me, uh, you've been walking with Jesus for a number of years, but you just never took that step of obedience to really kind of stake your flag in the ground and say, yes, this is my public announcement to the world that I'm placing my faith and my allegiance with Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know more about baptism, what that means, um, why that's an important step in your spiritual journey with Jesus, would encourage you. Just reach out to us. You can email us info, info at nlcca.org. We'd love to talk to you more about what it would look like to be baptized in 2021. Uh, as Mike said, man, it's been, it's been a week, hasn't it? It's actually been a year. <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite a, quite a journey. And so um, let's, let's pray before we dive into uh, God's word. God, we come to you uh, with many of us with heavy hearts, uh, some of us with anxious thoughts, some of us are walking in deep darkness and pain right now. Many of us are confused. Some of us are angry. Maybe even there's a temptation among some of us to move towards hopelessness. And so, God, I, I pray that for the next half hour or so, uh, your spirit would be in this place, that you would move among these people, both in the room and those who are tuned in via technology, God, that you would do something in our hearts, in our spirits to liberate us, to turn our hearts' attention and affection to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would remind us that regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, in life or even as a nation, that you, God, still sit on your throne, that your character has not changed, that you are still good, you still love us and you're still after us. And so God, would you allow us to clear some space in our minds and our hearts to hear from you because our confession would be that now, maybe more than ever, we need a word from you. We need to hear from you. And so would you speak to us now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a brand new series today uh, called Lament. Now, I don't know that it could have come at a more appropriate time, uh, both on the heels of last year, what's happening in our nation uh, today. This is a series, believe it or not, it's been planned, it's been in the works for, for several months. And, uh, and again, I couldn't, have, I couldn't have planned the timing of this. Um, it's just further proof to me that, that God is sovereign, that he knows what he's doing, and that he loves us, he cares about us, and he's, he's speaking to us. Now, how many of you know that we just, we, we live in a broken world, right? We, we all know that there's, there's something that, 
that's just not right about the world around us. It doesn't really even matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist, a Buddhist, a, a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, Republican, Democrat, Tar Heel, Dookie, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around at the events that are happening in our world and to look at the brokenness in our society and say, you know what? Something is jacked up. Like, something is wrong. This is not as it should be. We all know that regardless of where you are, where you're coming from, whatever kind of place you are on the spiritual spectrum, we all look around and we know it should not be this way. And the reality is, whether we like it or not, we all experience deep suffering and pain in this life. If you're young, if you're perhaps a kid or a teenager in your early 20s and you haven't yet experienced that, let me just tell you, uh, you will <laughs> And I think that the time to prepare for seasons of suffering and loss is really on the front end of those times, right? Before those times, it's, it's not that God can't work in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the fire, he does and he will, but it's a lot better. And I think it's really one of my jobs as one of your pastors here to prepare you well for seasons of suffering and pain so that you can walk the pathway of suffering well. And, and I don't know that we, as a, as a church, collectively in America, as leaders in churches in America, have really done a, a good job of that. And so I hope that this series will be a time of uh, hopeful equipping for us to walk these pathways that none of us are really immune to. And so whether you're at the point in your life where you're kind of coming out of a storm and praise God if that's you, you know, you just kind of come through something tough and now you feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel and man, praise God, I rejoice with you. Maybe some of you are, man, you're, you would have to just raise your hand and say, yes, Chris, I, I'm, like, I'm in the middle of it. Like, I, I'm, I'm right in the middle of the storm. I'm right in the middle of the fire. I'm, I'm right in the middle of the pain. If I'm being really honest, I don't know what God is up to right now. It feels very confusing to me. I feel very broken inside. I feel very empty inside. I'm like, I'm right in the middle of all of that. And some of you would say, yeah, that's me. And there are others of you who thinks, um, I've talked to just a couple of people even today that said, man, I feel kind of guilty, but 2020 was awesome for me. <laughs> so for some of you, you've had a, a season where the, the, the storms have been calmed and the sea has been placid in your life and we thank God for that. But if that's your kind of situation and our lot in life, I, I, I would just suspect that you're probably getting ready to head into a storm. And so whether you're coming out of it, you're in the middle of it, you're about to head into it, I, I think that this series over the course of the next however many weeks, is gonna be very, very useful and practical for all of us. So what we're gonna be doing in this series is we're gonna be diving in, doing a deep dive into the subject of lament. Lament. Now, I'm just gonna guess, if, even if I took a survey of those of you online in the room and I said, give me your definition of lament, I'm just gonna guess that many of you just wouldn't even have a clue how to define what lament is. Right? Most of us might say, ah, oh, something to do with sadness or something like that. And so um, what, the question then is, what, what, what is lament exactly? What is lament? Why is it, why is it important? I, have a, I formed this definition from a book that I'll be leaning heavily on during this entire uh, series, and I would highly recommend this book to you. Now, the name of the book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. I think it's probably the chief work out there on lament right now by a pastor in Indianapolis named Mark Broigop. It's a fantastic little book. And this definition comes from many of his teachings on the subject. So this is the definition that I've come up with um, for lament. This will be on the screens for you. 
Lament is an honest prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is an honest prayer in pain that leads to trust and leads to hope. In other words, lament really is kind of, kind of the song that we sing between the poles of pain and promise, right? It's, it's kind of the, the song we sing, the prayer we pray in the deserts, the painful seasons of life between pain and promise, right? Because we're living in the already and not yet season of history, where Jesus has come, he's begun the inauguration of his kingdom, but has not been comp- uh, uh, consummated yet. So we're in this kind of already and not yet season of history and life. Now here, here's why this is important for us. I think for um, all, pretty much all of human history, most cultures have had ceremonies, grieving periods, rites and rituals for pain and grieving as pathways to dealing with pain and loss. In our culture, the Western culture, really over just maybe the last century or even half century, we have somehow, as a culture, we've lost those pathways. And I would argue the result has actually been pretty catastrophic, especially in the church. So you may not realize this, but lament is actually the language that God has given his people to bridge them from pain to hope. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I, I, to my great shame, even as a pastor, I didn't know this until I started studying this a couple weeks ago. But the Psalms, right, the, the largest book in, in our, our Bible, I don't know if you know this, but over a third of the Psalms, approximately 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Do you know that? That's a staggering number of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, there are entire books of the Bible that are dedicated to the subject of lament, like Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, the book of Job. The early church practiced lament. In fact, their worship book, their song book in the early days was uh, the book of Psalms. So 40% of the songs they sang were songs of lament. Jesus himself practiced lament. So we see that in the Gospels, for instance, the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, in the garden, he lamented. On the cross, you may not know this, but that, that famous saying that Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually quoting Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. Some of the strongest Christians in early American history were actually slaves. Um, I, you, won't, you won't read about this a lot, but some of the, the greatest spiritual revivals in early American history happened among the slaves. Some of those revivals actually read, uh, led to a, this staggering percentage of um, early African-American slaves becoming a sold-out followers of Jesus. At one point, 70 to 80% of all African-Americans were sold-out uh, Christians. And if you go back and you look at their writings and the songs that they sang, they, they actually would write uh, these things that are commonly known as Negro spirituals. And I went back and I, and I looked at some of the songs that these slaves would sing, and they, were, they really were, they were laments. They were laments, right, where they were, they were bemoaning, they were expressing, they were articulating the pain and suffering in their life, and yet they were looking forward to the promise to come that they had in Jesus Christ. And so the sad reality is I, I think that we are really probably the first generation of, of Christians, of Jesus followers that do not know how to lament. And we are poorer for it. We are not richer for it. 
It's caused us many problems. Some researchers, researchers have actually gone back and studied uh, modern worship music, both hymns. So if you come from a more traditional background where they kind of sang hymns out of a hymnal, studied the, the hymns and also kind of contemporary worship music. And amazingly, only three to 5% of songs that modern American churches sing today could be considered songs of lament. Whereas the early Christians, about 40% of everything that they sang would have been songs of lament. So listen, friend, we have somehow lost this pathway that God has given us to find hope in the rubble of life. And I, listen, I am convinced that we must figure out a way to reclaim this lost art if we are going to survive and thrive in the, in the days that are before us. Because the truth of the matter is our culture has told us, has sold us even this lie. That first of all, you should do everything you can in your power to avoid pain. You should hide from it, you should run from it. But if it does find you, what our culture tells us is, listen, you need to do everything in your power to stuff it down, to press it down as quickly as possible, to get past it as soon as possible, and just move on with your life. And so what happens when a culture no longer has a category for people to move from pain to promise as a culture? And I'll tell you exactly what happens. It's what we're seeing happening right now. You end up with two broken types of people in your culture. You end up with stuffers, and I would firmly have to raise my hand and say I'm in this category. But we live in a culture that, that really promotes this idea of, of stuffing. And so we, a lot of us grew up in this John Wayne kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of culture and, and, and grown men don't cry. And we got all these songs and all these movies that kind of perpetuate this myth. And so we, we have all these people who are, who are stuffers in our culture. And surf, what stuffers do is they just, they just kind of swallow the pain. They just kind of push it down. They just kind of ignore it. We got to move on and get past it as quickly as possible. Ignore it, forget it. And what happens is you end up with people who are so emotionally unhealthy and scarred that they tend to make a mess of every relationship in their lives. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. Well, we got a world, we got an entire culture of hurt people that have never even dealt with any of the trauma or pain in their lives and they're just out there causing a sea of pain and chaos in the world around them. Stuffers on the one hand, and then on the other hand you have a category of people that I call the white flaggers. I know you know white flaggers in your life, I know them. Maybe some of you would have to say, yeah, I'm, I am one of those white flaggers, and these are people that have just experienced so much pain, trauma, and suffering in their life that they've basically given up. Just kinda kind of waved the white flag and surrendered in life and they've almost just become numb to life itself. And these are people that you meet and they're just walking around and they're just dejected and they're cynical and frankly, they're just kind of dead inside. And so we're in a culture that produces people that are either emotionally crippled by stuffing or people who are dead inside because they're white flaggers. Is it any Wonder that our society is in the mess that it is. Like, I can't imagine why. <laughs> and I would have to admit to you that, man, I, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I myself have been following Jesus for, for many years now. 
And, and I gotta tell you, I, I knew nothing about the subject of lament until recently. And, and I don't know if that's because nobody was teaching on it or, or maybe they were teaching on it and I, I just wasn't listening. That, that very well could be the case. But I would have to confess to you, be honest with you and say, listen, for the first 30 years of my life, I didn't even feel a need for it. I had a great childhood. Married my college sweetheart. <clears throat> had three healthy children. Man, was on top of the world. And if I'm being honest, man, I, people would talk about pain and suffering and I, I would almost feel guilty because I'd, I had no real category to relate to them. And all that began to change seven or eight years ago. I experienced for the very first time in my life what I think theologians back in the old days would have called a deep sorrow of the soul. Modern psychologists would call it a low-grade depression. About three and a half years ago, after three healthy pregnancies, uh, we lost a baby, surprisingly, in uh, pregnancy. And it wasn't, I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest with you, it wasn't until maybe six months ago that I could look at the ultrasound of that baby that we lost without it just absolutely crushing me. Because I just, I never, I never dealt with the pain. I never walked the path of suffering. It was just, man, you're, you're a man. You gotta move on. You gotta stuff the pain. You gotta be strong for your wife. You gotta be strong for your kids. Man, you're leading a church. People are looking to you. I don't have time to process this. And so I walked that pathway very, very poorly. Recently, I've lost family members through divorce. Did my first funeral for an infant last year for a family uh, in our church who are absolute rock stars. They inspire me uh, so much. Had a buddy take his life a couple of months ago. Sat with a buddy who, uh, who died uh, yesterday morning. I got to be with his wife and pray over his body, and give thanks to the Lord for his life, getting ready to do his funeral. And so I've become acquainted really quickly with pain and loss. And God in his grace has allowed me to attend his school of suffering. Now not nearly as much as some of you have suffered, but certainly God has allowed me to taste of it. And this school of suffering is not one that we would ever choose for ourselves. At least no sane person. I certainly never would have chosen to walk any of those pathways on my own. But here's the deal. That sort of school of Pain and suffering and loss can produce massive amounts of good in your life if, if you will allow it. I appreciate the perspective from a pastor in the 1800s named John, John Vincent. He said this, this will be on the screen for you. Vincent said, in the highest class of God's school of suffering, we learn not resignation nor patience, but rejoicing in tribulation. And I want to walk you through one of the shortest laments in the scriptures, Psalm 13. If you have a Bible, either in print or on a device, would encourage you to go there, Psalm 13. That's where we'll be. And as you go there, I just want to walk you through the components of lament. We'll come back to this again and again throughout this series. If you're a note taker, please, please write these down. Laments typically are made up of four parts. Not always, most of the time. Sometimes three parts, sometimes in different orders. But typically four parts, typically in this order. So the four components of lament, and this is a practice, this is an art 
that believers have lost that we need to reclaim in our day and age. So components of lament, remember lament is a prayer and pain that leads to trust, leads to hope. So here's the first element of a lament. Number one, you gotta come to God first. And see, so many of us don't even take the first step right, do we? Pain comes into our life, suffering comes into our life, depression comes into our life, anxiety comes into our life, and instead of running to God, turning to God, we turn away from God. But step one to healing, step one of a lament, is to come to God. Lament always begins by addressing nobody except God. That's why a lament is prayer, right? It's, it's not venting, it's not going to a buddy and complaining, it's not getting on social media and just kind of pouring out, barfing all your woes on the world. Lament is coming to the one, the only one, who has any power to change both your circumstances and maybe more importantly, change your heart. See, it's been said to cry is human, but to lament is distinctly Christian. And I'll show you what I mean by that in Psalm 13 in just a minute. But that's step one of a lament is coming to God. Don't run from God, we come to God, number one. Step number two of a lament is we pour out our complaint honestly to God. Now one of the things I love most about the Bible is how shockingly honest it is. Right, if you've ever actually read the scriptures, man, there's no sugarcoating, there's no pretense, there's no pretending, it is raw, it is real, it is honest. And here's the really amazing thing about this. God actually invites us to do this with him, to pour out our complaints to him. I think many of us kind of grew up with this this misconception I think actually has been crippling to us. It's, It's not true, particularly if you're like me, you grew up in the deep south, grew up in the church. A lot of us grew up with this idea that complaints to God are disrespectful. So a lot of us kind of had this idea that, man, God, A, God doesn't even want to hear that from me. Like, God God doesn't want me to bring my complaints to him. And and even if I do, he's probably going to, like, strike me down with a lightning bolt or something, so I better not do that. And a lot of us grew up in churches with well-meaning people, and I remember even as a kid, man, um, I, I would be talking to people in, in church and, and just like normal conversation, normal words, and the same guy would, would get on stage, a pastor or a deacon or, or an elder or something, and, and, it's, and everything about them would change when they would begin to pray. You ever experienced somebody do that? They're like a different person. Their tone changes. Their voice changes. Sound much deeper, like Charleston Heston, you know. They begin to speak in old English. Right? That, was, that was my favorite. Lord, thank thee for thine eternal mercies. We entrust our lives into thou sovereign will. Amen. Right? I just remember thinking as a kid, like, dang, man, if that's what prayer is, I'm not even qualified to pray. <laughs> I don't even know how to talk like that. And I don't even want to learn how to talk like that. <laughs> I'm not qualified to, to do that. If that's what prayer is, it's certainly not honest, it's certainly not real, it's certainly not raw. Like I, I just, I don't, I'm not sure that I, that I have anything to bring to the table when it comes to that. I love uh, Paul Miller's quote in a book called Praying Life. This will also be on the screens for you. Miller writes, we, we think laments are disrespectful. God says the opposite. Lamenting shows you are engaged with God in a vibrant living faith. We live in a deeply broken world, amen. 
If the pieces of our world aren't breaking your heart and you aren't in God's face about them, then you've thrown in the towel. God invites our laments. I would argue that if you're a son or daughter of God, he expects you to lament. He expects you to come and pour out your complaints to him. He invites that kind of intimate relationship with his sons and his daughters. So the first step is we turn to God and lament. The second step is we, we honestly lay out our complaints before God. No pretense, no flowery language, no old English, just real, raw, authentic prayers. God, this is who I am. This is what hurts. Here's why it hurts. Why is this? Here's the third component of a lament. It's asking for his help. You ask God to intervene. Laments shamelessly ask God to move. Laments are not kind of sheepish, shy, religious prayers. You gotta understand, laments boldly ask God to step right into the middle of your circumstance, your pain, your loss, your suffering, your confusion, and they say, God, do something. God, do something. What are you waiting on? Don't you see how much pain I'm in? Don't you see the suffering? Do something. Show up. And again, a lot of Christians think of this art, this type of prayer as disrespectful, but you got to understand the Bible is chock full of these kind of prayers. And if you know and love and follow Jesus, listen, Christian, you need to learn how to pray these prayers. If you want to go deep with God, you have to learn how to pray these prayers. There are too many of us that our prayer life sort of consists of these mindless, superficial, stupid prayers that we pray. We just sit down at a meal time. It's like, God, thank you for this food. Bless our day. Amen. We go to bed at night. God, please help me sleep well. Have a good Amen. If that's what your prayer life consists of, you are totally missing the boat in the depth that God has for you and the type of relationship that he longs to have with you. So that's the third step, is that we come to God first, we lay out our complaints, we ask shamelessly for his help, for his intervention. And then the fourth, the last component of a lament, and probably the most important component, number four is a declaration of trust. Now this is a distinct marker of a lament is that they always end in hope. They always end in hope. They always end in trust. And so where our culture and where our world sees pain and loss and suffering and death and all of those things in our culture tend to lead people down this pathway of hopelessness, on the other hand, laments move us to hope and trust that we have a good and sovereign God who still sits on his throne and reigns. It is not ignoring pain. It is learning how to embrace pain. It is learning how to authentically feel the pain and not just try to press through it and press past it as quickly as possible. It's articulating our pain. It's using our pain as a springboard that launches us to trust in God in a brand new, authentic, life-giving way. Now, let me show you how in Psalm 13, starting in verse one. King David 
wrote this psalm, one of the most famous kings throughout world history. If you know anything about David's life, David was well acquainted with pain, wasn't he? He was a man who was well acquainted with pain and suffering and loss and darkness and depression and self-hatred and death in his life and betrayal and all of those things. And this is how he begins this lament in Psalm 13. David writes, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Now where does David begin his prayer? Does he begin by whining to himself? Does he begin by complaining to his friends, by by getting on social media to articulate all of his wounds and frustrations and anger? No, he begins by going right to God, to the one source that has the power to do something about what he's struggling with in life. He goes right to the one who has the power to intervene. Now, we have no idea what David was struggling with when he penned Psalm 13. We don't know what he was going through. The truth of the matter is it doesn't even really matter what he was going through, but what we do know for a fact is that whatever he was walking through when he wrote this psalm was very deep and it was very painful. Watch what he says next. How long, O Lord? And then his very next question, will you forget me forever? Anybody feel forgotten out there? Anybody feel like maybe God once cared about you and loved you, but you feel like you've been abandoned now? Now, I would argue David, David knows that God hasn't forgotten about him, but here's the deal. He feels like God has forgotten about him. It's possible to know one thing intellectually in your mind, but not feel it deep in your soul. And that's where David is right here. I'm guessing there are a lot of you that are there right now, especially after the last year. Do you just, do you feel forgotten? Do you feel alone? David continues, how long, how long, God, will you hide your face from me? Do you feel like God is absent in your life? Do you ever feel like it doesn't matter how many times you pray, how hard you pray, how often you pray, that your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and God doesn't even hear you? Well, David felt that way. My encouragement to you, dear brother, dear sister, would be keep praying, keep pressing, keep singing, keep lamenting. God sees you, he hears you, he cares for you. Look what David writes in verse two. How, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you just felt like the darkness and the pain were gonna crush you or suffocate you? Ever been in a place in your life where your heart just, just aches and hurts all the day long and you try to distract yourself with this or that and maybe it helps for like a minute but you can't get past it? Your heart is crushed all day long, all night long. Sleep evades you. David cried that same prayer. See, laments help us to articulate our pain in a way that brings hope and trust and freedom. And so David started this prayer in a desperate moment of his life by going to God, pouring out his complaint. And now part three, look what he does. Look at verse three, David says, Consider 
and answer me, O Lord my God. It's like, God, have you forgotten about, would you even give me some consideration? Do you see me down here? Do you see the pain? Do you see the darkness? Would you even consider me, God? Answer me. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Anybody feel shaken after the last week? David says, God, I, I, feel, I feel shaken. I feel like the, the foundation that I, I thought was sure under my feet, it's, it's cracking and it's crumbling and everything feels rocky and uncertain now. God, I feel shaken. David asked God to intervene. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just lay out his complaints. He doesn't just stay in this kind of tank of pain and tears and sorrow. He goes, God, do something. God, what are, you, what are you waiting on? Can't you see I'm about to die down here? My enemies are celebrating over me. God, are you deaf or are you blind? Please do something, God. Please show up. This is a raw, ferociously bold request for God to move on his behalf and in his circumstances. Have you prayed that kind of prayer? How long has it been since you've prayed a real, honest, raw prayer like Psalm 13? But David doesn't stop there. He pivots in verse five. And as we study these psalms of lament and laments in scripture over the next seven or eight weeks, I want you to notice, I want you to look for the word but, right? Kind of in the middle of these laments, when you see that word but, that's the pivot point of these whole things. Look at verse five. David says, but. In other words, he's saying, even still, in light of everything I've just said, in light of all the pain, in light of all the tears, in light of all the darkness, and yet, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now that is a rich and beautiful and brave prayer to pray. Right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the tears, right in the middle of the loss, right in the middle of the pain, David declares his trust in none other than God himself. David goes, God, I'm hurting. God, can't you see I'm in pain? God, can't you see I feel, I feel abandoned, I feel alone. God, please show up. Please do something in my life. I need you. But even right now, in the pain, I'm not waiting until I get to the other side of the storm. Right now, in the middle of the pain, I want you to know, God, my trust and my allegiance is with you. And my heart will sing. I will rejoice because you are alive and you are my king. And as long as you're on your throne, I have hope. So I want to finish really quickly with, with three kind of application points and one big idea, and then we're going to sing some songs of lament together as a, as a family. Here's truth number one. Pain is real. And I think a lot of churches and a lot of Christians have tried to paint over this reality and gloss over this reality for far too long. 
And what happens is we end up walking around with plastic smiles and pretending like everything is good in our lives. And we meet in the lobby and, hey, brother, how are you? Oh, things are good. Well, how, praise God. Well, how things? No, it's not. <laughs> Half the time, no, it's not. And so we got to get past this idea that everything's supposed to be picturesque and, and Instagram worthy, kind of fake lives that none of us actually live. And actually, just be real with one another. Say, listen, this world is full of brokenness and pain. Pain is not a mirage, as some world religions would have you believe. Pain is not always a test. You're not so tough. I don't know, maybe you've seen this on social media. If you've posted this, I'm sorry. But it, you're not so tough that God only gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. Like, none of that rubbish is true. Listen, we live in a broken and fallen world where pain and loss is very much real. And listen, it touches all of us. Wherever you go, pain will find you. And here's the beautiful truth of it all. God isn't asking you to ignore the pain. He's not even asking you to, to press through it and swallow it down and get past it. He's not asking you to stuff it. He doesn't want you to let it define you or defeat you. He wants you to recognize it, articulate it, and take it to him. It is real, it, is, it hurts, and it's tough, and it's dark, and that's okay. Pain is real. Here's number two. God wants your pain. He wants your pain, and here, here's what I mean by that. God, God never intended for you to carry the burden of life's pain and struggle alone. Now, here, here, here's what I'm, I'm finding out. 2020 has been an interesting year. I think it's exposed a lot of things in our culture. I think it's exposed a lot of things in the church. I think a lot of things are getting refined and purified, which in the end may not be a bad thing. But here's one thing that I think 2020 has exposed. I think a lot of people have experienced so much loss and so much suffering and so much pain that people are just like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm just gonna be real. I'm taking the plastic off. I'm just gonna be real. I've had more people come into my office and email me and call me. People are just suffering in the last year than the, probably the last 10, 15 years of my ministry put together. And that's not a bad thing because God never intended you to walk these pathways of darkness and anxiety and pain and struggle alone. God, invi listen, God invites you to invite him into your pain and into your chaos and into your confusion and loss in a way that will bring clarity and purpose to your suffering. Here's Truth number three, and we don't like this one, but pain leads to depth. Pain leads to depth. Now, here's, here's what I mean by that. We all wanna be deep people. None of us want the pain that's gonna produce that level of deepness and insight in us. So here's the deal. Listen, in, in a real sense, how are you to ever know of God's nearness to the lonely if you've never been abandoned in life? How are you to experience his nearness if you've never felt abandoned? How are you to know and experience that God is a God of comfort if you've never even experienced loss in your life? How are you to know that God is all sufficient if you've never actually been in need? How can you know that God is the great comforter if you've never actually been crushed by grief in your life? 
Now, maybe it's possible for you to know those things on a superficial, intellectual level. But for those things to trickle down deeply into our souls and our hearts and deep into our bones in a way that's transformative of our lives, we have to experience those facets of the character of God for ourselves in a deep and meaningful way. And so here's the big idea if you remember nothing else about what I've said this morning. Remember this, life is hard, but God is good. And so learn how to lament. The pain is real. God is still good. And he's given us a pathway to move us from pain to promise. Now here, here, here's what all of that means practically for you. When, you. when you are standing in the fire of a broken marriage, when you are drowning in the waves of grief, when things didn't turn out the way that you hoped that they would, when you're standing in the rubble of crashed and destroyed dreams, you can stand and you can say, God, even in the middle of the pain, even in the middle of the darkness and the suffering come hell or high water, you are my God and we are your people and our trust and our hope is in you and we will not be shaken because we have a conqueror. We have a king who is alive and well and as long as he sits on his throne, we have hope and we have assurance in spite of the circumstances of life and we will not be shaken. And so what I want to do now is I, I, want, us, I want us to pray and I want, I want to invite you to pray a real authentic prayer with me and then we're going to sing some songs of lament to close our time together. Now, some of you have probably never prayed a prayer like this. Some of you, your entire spiritual life has been lived on the surface. It's been shallow. It's been weak. It has no roots, it has no foundation. And if that's you, I just wanna invite you into a deeper experience with God, one that I believe he wants you to have with him. Get rid of the plastic smile, the plastic stuff, the oh yeah, brother, oh yeah, sister, it's all good. No, it's not. Not if you live a real life, at least not all the time. So I wanna invite you into a time of authentic prayer and maybe for the very first time in your life, you pray a real raw, honest prayer to God. And for others of you, it's just been a long time. Maybe you had a real vibrant walk with the Lord back when you were younger, in college, when you first became a believer, but it's just gotten stagnant and stale. And maybe you don't even pray anymore. Maybe you've, maybe you've had so much pain and so much loss and so much suffering, you just kind of gave up. You don't even talk to God anymore. And I want this to be a time where you re-engage with your creator in a very real, authentic way. And then we're gonna sing some very real and authentic songs. And I don't want you to sing them just going through the motions. I want you to feel them. I want you to sing them from your core, from your heart. And then we'll be done. This is what God wants for us in hard times and painful times. God, we come to you. And our collective confession would have to be that we don't typically handle pain and suffering well. So God, would you, would you forgive me? Would you forgive us for times where we've just tried to 
press it down and swallow it down and push it down and move on and forget about it and not deal with it and allow those things to actually distance us from you instead of drawing us closer to you. Would you forgive us for that, God? God, we, we long for the day. We long for the day where lament will not be needed anymore in the new heavens and the new earth where you promise to right all wrongs, to make everything that's sad come untrue, to wipe away every tear. We look forward to that day when lament is not needed, where there's not pain, there's not suffering, there's not loss, there's not chaos, and there's not confusion. But God, we would confess we're living right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of pain and promise. And so we need you. We need you to show up in our lives. We need you to intervene. We need you to do something in our lives. We need you to show up. We need you. And Jesus, we thank you that you actually, you actually came. You provided a solution to our pain. That you didn't just sit on your throne and, and watch it go down. That you actually came down into the muck and the mire and the blood and the sweat and the tears with us and for us. And you lived a perfect life that we should have lived, but we didn't have the ability to live. And you died to pay for our rebellion and pay for our sin, but you didn't stay there. Three days later, you walked out of that tomb, and now you offer us that same resurrected life now in your son Jesus. And so even in the pain, even in the sorrow, even in the confusion, we could stand and we could say we will have hope and we will not be shaken because Jesus is good and he is on his throne. In Jesus' name we pray, we ask all of these things, amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing these songs from the heart.